Welcome to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. Coming to you from the other London, let's start the show. Welcome to GradCast, the official podcast of the Society of Graduate Students at the University of Western Ontario. I am your host, Tristan Johnson, and I am joined today by my co-host, the perennial Yemen Chen. How's it going, man? Howdy. And our guest today comes from, hails from the, the, the great state of sociology. State of sociology. It is a state, that's for sure. And that it's is a, a state anyway. That, that you just heard him now. It's Cliff Davidson. Hi, everybody. And Cliff... You're going to tell us about whether or not this podcast is successful because your research involves looking at university students and telling them from, or figuring out from their perspective what constitutes student success at university. Did I wrap that up around? Yeah, you got it pretty pretty bang on. Now uh, we'll have to see how successful this is, but I guess we're all students here. Well, Yemen's perennial student, I guess. <laughs> I didn't mean it like that, but... <laughs> well, I mean, you're not wrong, I hope to change that eventually. Your candidate level, half student, we're good. Mm-hmm. Success. Yeah, if you call ABD success, I suppose. You can't do his alphabet. <laughs> there was somebody, uh, there was a, there was a professor I used to TA for, and she basically was like, you know, grad school is going to be really tough. And I was like, yeah, it's true. You can't spell balance without ABD. So. <laughs> <laughs> oh, dear. Ba-dum-tch. All right. So you're a sociologist. Which is, to me anyway, like the like the definitional um, discipline of the social sciences. Well, it's Fair in the enough. name. Yeah. So, <laughs> um, so let's uh, let's go. Let's break into this project. So, what what drove you to this research question? So, uh, well, basically, I've uh, been in school for quite a long time. I did college first, and then I did uh, my undergrad in a uh, bilingual campus, Glendon College, York University. And during my undergrad, I did an exchange in the Netherlands. And then in my first master's, I did uh, my master's in London, UK. And therefore, I had a bunch of experience with a variety of different educational levels and institutions. And I was like, wow, there's a whole lot of differences going on here. So it really made me think what just people are doing at the universities can be totally different depending on where you are and at what level yeah it's really interesting because there's like people here for as many reasons as there are people here uh at a school that's had something like chakmagate yes which has defined our but but there's this idea of um the rise of the consumer university which is kind of this like model right here and where everything's become a business so like i'm wondering if uh what what is so like i guess to to crack in what is the definition of success that's might that might be different from say like the administration so yeah the, um, it's interesting that you bring in uh the i guess the corporatization commodification of education and the university itself that's something that really heavily ties into my research and um one of the things i'm going through is i'm uh tearing apart what i'm actually doing you can see i'm doing these really cool hand motions here and uh, basically, I'm trying to figure out if the university's corporatization is cannibalizing itself because they're pushing students through, uh, through massification. Let's bring as many people as we can get in, in the undergraduate level, and seeing just how far we can push them to get them out. 
And essentially, students are realizing that they need to get a higher education degree more frequently at university. And with that, they come here with a mindset saying, get my degree, get out. A lot of them already know that jobs are scarce. Even um, getting a degree doesn't guarantee much of a job beyond a barista. I always joke with some of my uh, first years, there's a reason why barista starts with BA. (laughs) (laughs) I've always said that since I'm doing a PhD in history that I'm training myself up to be the smartest person working at Starbucks, so I get it. (laughs) There you go. But, um, yeah. So then um, what do you have, like... It's interesting because you're talking about mass amount of people, so people are getting more BAs now than they've ever before. Yeah, BAs, BSCs, of course, yeah. Yeah, And by the law of economics, the more people you have go through the system, you're actually inherently making the the thing less valuable. Right, increasing the supply without, you know, a uh, commensurate increase in demand. Mm -hmm. It's true. And uh, like we just said about um, Starbucks or working as a barista, there's only so many knowledge jobs, knowledge economy jobs out there, and Canada is not investing in them as much as they probably should. Um, now, I don't know if it's the government's task to do that or companies' task to do that, which, as you can see, is a trickle-down effect to the university. Inject as little as possible to get maximum output, and you can see that with the jobs that are available, pay as little as possible, um, for someone who's overqualified. If you get out there and you have a high school degree or a college degree, nothing wrong with college, I think it's actually just as valuable as university. Other people don't. But if you come out with a BA or BSc, you're going to be offered a job much more easily than someone with a college or high school degree. And you're probably way overqualified. So then um, through your research, are you doing like interviews with, with students or questionnaires or... Um, how are you turning this into uh, into numbers somehow? Oh, the numbers question. Um, so uh, basically what I've been doing is I have three main research questions. One is how are current measures of student success from the top down, like university level measures, how are those actually representative of the diverse student body? So as we are aware, there's a, little, a push from, especially here at Western, for um, internationalization, so international students and students here going abroad. Um, and basically, I want to see how this diverse student body, uh, including other groups such as First Nations, um, first generation, and potentially mature students, how their needs are different than what the university measures. And second uh, question would be along the lines of, if these are different, how do students then from this diverse group define success for themselves? And my third question would be, if they're just definitions of success are different, what are barriers to attaining that success? And so to do that, I have a a dual way of looking at it. I'm going to do surveys. And so I've started administering surveys and I'm going a little crazy trying to get between 1,000 and 2,000 surveys from first year and third and fourth year students, collectively, not each. And then from there, I'm going to do focus groups of about 24 to 80, depending on response rate. So first, third, and fourth, is there a specific reason you're skipping the second years? I'm doing first year just because people are first coming in, and I want to see what their um, mentality is coming in. Third and fourth year, I'm choosing because they you can graduate with a three-year degree or you can graduate with a four-year degree. So that's more of the exit mentality. So the second year is a transition, and... 
I've actually started to go into second year courses because it's easier to go into courses and get the whole course or the whole class to fill out a survey than it is to actually go in and physically get second year or first year or third year or fourth year people specifically to do the survey. All right, so uh, I know that one metric that universities like to use is, and I, I imagine you have a lot to talk about, is placement rates, which is like they do, I think, a survey about a year after people graduate and find out who is working and who's working in the field that they, they graduate in. I was wondering, do you, um, how do you feel about, like, about, about that number? Um, that's a fantastic uh, question because in part of my research that I started doing, there is, uh, I can't remember the name of the group, but there are essentially a, a bunch of faculty members in an organization in Ontario, and they've said all of these measures, uh, especially in Ontario, which are called KPIs, Key Performance Indicators, are measuring how successful the university is based on placement rates after but they're not judging how successful a student is during their time actually at the university. And so these, the main concern is, why aren't you figuring out how the students are doing at university rather than afterwards? Afterwards is a measure for the university to judge its own success rather than how a student finds that they're actually being successful in their own journey through university. Is there also not like a bunch of complex outside factors, like people who get placements after going through university may not have gotten them as a result of anything they've done in university. Cultural capital, social capital. Right. Exactly. And yeah, so you can only judge so much. You know, like not what you know, but who you know. Yeah, and this is where the whole diverse student idea comes in. If the university keeps pushing for a diverse group of students, so we recently did internationalization before we did first generation, before that first nations. If we're trying to get these students to come into the university, maybe we should try and figure out just what the hell they want out of university and what they can get out of university, rather than generalizing that here's a 18 to 22 year old white male, which, as we all know, is not traditional. That's true. I've always, um, I've always made the joke that uh, the way that we do science and the way that we do psychology, we're going to have the the white college students' mind completely mapped, and mice are going to live forever. So I'm really glad that you're. Um, <laughs> Yes, definitely. <laughs> so I'm glad that you're like looking outside of um, or intentionally trying to diversify the subject base. Yeah, that's really good. So well, part of that is uh, hopefully I'll I'll get results from that and initial looking at my data. It seems like there's a variety of different responses, even in what we consider traditional students. So it just goes to show that the universities really have to start looking at what the students want rather than what the university wants the students to be. Do you have any um, examples at the moment of what some of these different responses, what these different sort of ideas of student success look like? I don't really have an idea of what student success looks like. All right. But ideas of what students what are they telling you? problematic okay. for them. So a lot of students might have to work as a part-time, work a part-time job mm -hmm. just to literally afford coming to university. Um, it's great that the uh, Ontario government just made it so that people whose families make under $50,000 can have free tuition, but there's $12,000 that you need to attend university for a year. So these students would have to work. Now, because they're working, they don't have the time to invest in their educational um, endeavors, be it academic or be it extracurricular, which mm -hmm. are two key measures of student success. You all know, you've all heard about oh, this guy, he's on the rowing team or the star football player who also has an A-plus uh, A average. Some students just can't actually afford that in their time. 
because they just have to pay for university. Mm-hmm. And yet, uh, is there even is it even possible in our uh, context for somebody to work and actually be able to pay off the school? Like, I, I it'd be challenging to make that much money. Well, that's the thing is, I don't think it's viable. Um, as we are aware, the jobs, even though our minimum wage is going up, which is fantastic, it's still not enough money to pay for everything. The cost of living is going up much faster than the minimum wage. Cost of tuition is going up much faster than you're getting paid. So it's, we all hear about it, the level of student debt is just astronomical. And so it's not as feasible. It's becoming so that the university is not going to be able to massify like it used to do just to get money. People aren't going to be able to physically afford it. Are you getting um, any sort of sense when you do your class visits uh, of what students um, expect to get out of university or why they're going through this process at all? Um, I mean, looking back to some of my, when I was TAing certain undergrad courses, it seemed like, um, you know, they define, at least some students, they define their success in their coursework and their studies as getting a high enough grade average to get into Ivy. And that was basically their their only real goal. And then from there, you know, uh, life would take care of itself because Ivy is just that awesome. Is there... Are you getting, in as part of your data collection, um, students to talk about sort of... Professional school type things? Or, you know, they're, if they have long-term goals, even short-term goals, like, what measures are they looking at in terms of thinking about success and thinking about why they're here at an institution of higher learning? Well, um, like I said earlier, there's a lot of students are here knowing full well that they need to get some kind of credential just to get a job. Right. Some students do have a mindset that, um, as we were talking before the interview, I, I have my BA, my BSc, I should be making $70,000 a year. And I'm sorry, but that's absolute bullshit. You have to actually work your way up. Uh, but looking through some of the data that I've collected, it seems that students have a variety of different ways of looking at it. I haven't gone into it in much detail, but throughout my survey, I've actually coded goal orientations, some different goal orientations. I think there's about five or six, um, such as like, I'm here to learn, to just actually learn. I'm here for a job. I'm here to make friends and have fun, that kind of stuff. So once I get in and I actually start doing regressions and stuff, I can see more about that. But yeah. There's a whole variety, and you have to remember who is responding. Sometimes uh, my presence in the uni- uh, in the classroom actually helps encourage people to respond. But if I wasn't there, the people that are going to respond are already probably going to be keeners, so might be slightly biased. Now, is there something? Um, I find the economics of this interesting too, because like what I'm I'm hearing from the picture is that this is an institution, or this is a uh, part of educational life that is transitioning into something that more or less is mandatory. Like there's a point like when we made high school mandatory for all, all students Mm -hmm. or for all uh, children in Canada that then you, you make this bottom floor that now getting below that is almost, it's impossible to get, have any sort of success. And now it looks like we're having this uneasy transition because we don't like to build infrastructure like we used to. That university, like the bachelor's level, post-secondary of some kind is required to even have a chance success in the world. But 
we haven't made it we haven't gotten over the privatized model like we did with like high schools in years past i'm wondering if like are would you see it from that perspective or do you think that's uh a little strange uh no i i I see what you're saying and i think you're kind of uh on target there and it's actually really interesting that ontario specifically has recently changed um i think it's on their website I, i saw it uh just late last year the university system is now no longer a publicly funded system it's publicly assisted it's sounds like semantics but it is a very big change in the way that the university is looked at from a government point of view so they're making it so it's more private but at the same time they're encouraging people from all over the world like there's a huge push to get international students here there's a huge push to get more and more students in here from the universities they get more money from the government some more funding but you have to realize that where does this funding go? Is it actually going into making the education better? Or is it just going to the bums on seats, get people in, get them out, look at our university, we're fantastic. And that's very problematic for the students. But if the students don't care, because they, like you said, you need a degree just to get in at the ground level, then that's what I'm trying to figure out is where, where this whole idea of success is. And is there a disjuncture between the university's idea which is usually like, hey, high grades and graduate. Like, obviously, a successful student is one who graduates, but do they necessarily have to have high grades? You can graduate with a C-plus average, and nobody's going to look at your transcript. Look, I have a degree. Oh, great, so do I. The first letter in degree is D. There you go. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I'm just full of the jokes today. Fantastic. We're great. Uh, So when looking into other groups, like you said, um, that the there's a very like white male centric view to this. Have you seen anything in the experiences or the goals of first generation and first nations Canadians that, uh, that sticks out as interesting? I haven't gotten into that level of analysis just yet. Mm-hmm. So I can't really comment too, um, deeply, but I do remember when I was doing, um, I was teeing for a qualitative methods class. One of our projects was an interview assignment uh, where a bunch of students had to get together and do essentially um, an interview each and then write a paper on it based on everybody's interview. And frequently there's students, it happened a few times, where students that were mature students kept saying, why am I paying for this stupid bus pass? I'm never using it. And that also helped me trigger. It was like, there's a whole lot of things that these different students want and need that are so completely different from the general norm. I'm like, the universe keeps pushing for these kind of students. Maybe there's something behind this. And so that's one example of like a student saying, I don't need this bus pass. Why the hell am I paying for it? And we all know why it's, you know, just like capitalist system, you get value in numbers and you can bring the cost down. But as for other particular stuff from my own research just yet, I don't have any solid things. Unfortunately, well, Cliff, you know, as a person who's been a student for a long time in a lot of different, uh, or you, 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 <laughs> sorry, <clears throat> you, Cliff, as a person who's been a student for a long time in a lot, in a variety of different, you know, situations, con, contexts, and places. What is your perspective on, you know, what student success? should look like from your opinion what is your perhaps ideal about what a university should strive to accomplish no oh, i have a very biased answer i'm doing a phd right now so well i mean slightly biased <laughs> he's got he, he's still got a little bit of the academy left in him somewhere somewhere um a little soft spot right here 
Well, actually, it would be an interesting question, too, about... Um, so who's pushing this massification? Is it... Because uh, I could see two answers that'd be interesting. Is there one... Is there... Uh, even in our, like, publicly assisted system, is there certain people or certain segments of the staff here that have a legitimate profit motive that's driving it or is it response to austerity measures or is it both like is it is it the, are they getting more students because they need it to stay in the black or is it literally like we need to make profit i think both of those are one and the same to be honest because if you look at the salaries of some of the people at our university, we have a very uh, large amount of people on the sunshine list. And we don't need to name names, but there's people that make quite a lot of money. And we keep hiring people, um, adding more bureaucracy, uh, as it were, uh, you know, solve bureau- bureaucratic problems with bureaucracy. It's the way it goes. And um, in order that the bureaucracy expands to meet the needs of the expanding bureaucracy? Something like that, yeah, yeah right. pretty much. <laughs> so you have a bunch of... How do I explain it? So basically you have the people that are in charge of the university have started taking on a bit of a corporatization mindset. So this is a corporation. We must run it like a corporation. And therefore we have to, you know, uh, have checks and balances and we have to have profit. That's opinion, of course, but I'm sure you can look at all of the numbers and my opinion would be very easily backed up. Now, the university themselves isn't just the ones to blame. As we mentioned earlier, everyone keeps thinking we need a degree. We need a degree, and this also goes into saying what mean what it means to be successful as a person outside of the ivory tower, as we call it. College keeps getting the shaft, and college actually has a better chance of getting you jobs. It seems like with practical skills, and so it's really ironic in the fact that people like get a university degree and then go to college to actually get a job, and so it's a mindset that is far wider than just the university it's the general public has this notion that going to university is going to be really good for you and it's going to get you a good job and so people students especially have started thinking ah university means a good job when really we know it doesn't give you that yeah i i I remember the push they were doing because i was like in high school and they finally started figuring this out and they started being like you know it's really awesome skilled trades start doing those Uh, so why do you think this is the case? Why is it still that university is considered superior, even though you're taught less useful skills than, say, just going and getting an associate's degree? Social inequality. It's really easy to reproduce inequality when those that have higher degrees, as we call them higher degrees, say they're more important. They're the ones that are in power. They're the ones that are in charge. I mean, I'm not trying to shit on my teachers here, but do you really need to get a two-year teaching degree plus a four-year undergraduate degree to teach kindergarten. Every person I know that's gone through teacher's college says they learn more actually teaching than they do through teacher's college. I'm going to get in trouble for that, aren't I? <laughs> Who knows? What? Teachers, teachers, uh, it's Ontario. Teachers can come with, at you with a vengeance. Well, it depends how many people listen to this podcast. Yeah, true. That's true. All, t- all, 20, <laughs> all 20 listeners are, are angry. <laughs> so, Cliff, um... I guess we could finish up with asking you a bit about uh, photography. You said you wanted. Yeah, to that's a, that's a thing you do outside of all these other things you do. That's yeah, right. Because yeah. you know it's so completely related to success. 
<laughs> I'm great with a segue here. Yeah. <laughs> so go ahead. Uh, so so what kind of stuff do you what what drove you to photography and what um <laughs> what what gives you the um why do you why do you do it alongside of the PhD? What's uh, um <laughs> so funny story? Ha ha. Um, when I was in my undergrad, uh, I had a bad breakup. And uh, I was like, I gotta get the hell out of Canada. Well, it was partially my bad breakup and uh, how everybody else in my life at that time, like my friends and stuff, getting married, having kids, and I was like, screw this. So I went and I did a, a master's in photography and urban cultures in London, UK. And from there, I was like, this is cool stuff, but I can't do shit all with this. So <laughs> I went back and did a master's here at Western, and now I'm doing my PhD. But through that I was like I need to do something that's not so academic but at the same time involves my academic interests when it comes to um, basically visual sociology photography and so I just decided one day I'm going to start a photography festival in Toronto and it was an awesome idea but a stupid idea um, because it's a lot of work and uh, but the rewards are really awesome a great network of people and uh, I'm actually just finishing off uh, planning this year's uh, finishing off more like starting this year's it runs in June so yeah so uh, you're saying you're in visual sociology and that um, that the photography plays like a role in the interest you have so like what kind of what kind of pictures do you uh, do you make do you take Dudoir. I'm just kidding <laughs> uh, have you heard of Dudoir yet uh, is, I'm imagining it's a portmanteau of dude and boudoir there you go exactly <laughs> and it's actually quite famous now uh, Yemen's next on my list I'm just kidding Oh, you got my hopes up and everything. Well, if you want to. You need to grow a beard and must. Uh, Yemen's not allowed. <laughs> um, anyway, so I do street photography, actually. Urban, urban photography is what I call it. So my photography festival is called the Toronto Urban Photography Festival. And so it focuses on the urban. Um, and I've been told it's a little more academic than other photography festivals. And I'm okay with that. I'm an academic. That's really cool. So what does it mean to be, you know, more academic in terms of photography? So with our call for works, uh, yep. which we do every year, um, you have to submit three pictures and each picture um, has to have its own technical merits, but then they all have to connect very uh, tightly together as well. But on top of that, you have to have a 100 to 500 word write-up that helps uh, contextualize your images. And we have a theme every year. It's it's a broad theme that you can interpret in many ways. So this year it's urban playground. And um, mm. we've gotten a lot of good submissions and a lot of not so good submissions. <laughs> well, the fact the fact that it's it's obviously picked up scene that's really great. Well, yeah, and that's the thing is we've like I've done very little to market this. I don't know how people find us. It's awesome and weird, but more awesome than weird. Awesome. They must be watching you. Huh. Mm, like human. Always. <laughs> well, thank you so much, Cliff, for coming in and talking to us. Thanks for having me. Just shows me. you that there's there's people running like photography festivals just walking around the hallways. Like I said, every time you meet a graduate student here, they're usually doing something really cool. Like podcasting. Like podcasting. All right. <laughs> Thanks, guys. Thanks, take care. That's all we got for this week. If you like this episode, share it with someone. Check us all out on Twitter and Facebook. Both you can find through Gradcast Radio. You can go to our website to see more episodes at gradcastradio.ca. And if you want to come on the show and talk about your own research, great line for your CV, go to gradcastradio at gmail.com. The theme is Happy Boy by Kevin McLeod, and we will see you guys next time.